Welcome aboard and thank you for choosing to sail with Aran Island Ferries. You're in safe hands with the O'Brien family, who have an enduring relationship with the Aran Islands since they began to trade turf there over a century ago. Our crossing will take approximately one and a half hours, so sit back and relax or take in the view as you hear the story of these magical islands in this audiobook that was written and produced by Abarta Heritage. The Aran Islands are situated in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Galway and Clare. These beautiful islands are full of stories with history and heritage around every corner and abound with iconic stone forts and ancient monasteries. The islands have inspired artists and writers for generations and today they remain a place apart with their own distinctive culture and vibrancy. Three main islands make up the Aran Islands. Today, we are sailing to the largest, Inish Moor, which simply means the Big Island. And it is here that you can find the world-famous Dún Ingesa and the influential early monasteries at Kil Enya and the Shacht Djampel. When arriving at Kilronon port, you can enjoy local bus tours or pony and trap guided tours of the highlights. Or, if you have more time and are feeling adventurous, you can rent a bicycle or walk to explore the island for yourself. Inishman, or the Middle Island, is the least populated of the three Aran Islands. This makes it the perfect place for a scenic and tranquil trip. Like its neighbours, Inishman boasts a number of stone fortresses, like Dún Chonchur, you can also walk in the footsteps of the famous playwright John Millington Singh and visit the 300-year-old cottage in which he stayed. The cottage, once owned by the MacDonaghas, is now a museum where original photographs, drawings, letters and Singh's publications are on display. Beyond the cottage is the stone Cahir Singh, or Singh's Chair, located on the edge of a sheer limestone cliff Perhaps if you take a seat, you might find yourself inspired to write a famous play. Inishir is the smallest and most eastern of the three Aran Islands. Though small, it is perfectly formed, with truly breathtaking scenery and patchworks of fields separated by dry stone walls. One of the most famous locations on Inishir is the medieval tower house known as O'Brien's Castle. That is set within the walls of an Iron Age stone fort named Dún Formna. This fort was built on one of the highest points of Inish Ear and offers excellent views across to the mainland. Inish Ear is also associated with St Gubnet and the ruins of her church and hermitage can still be found on the island. The Plassey Shipwreck is another iconic location on Inish Ear. If you're a fan of Father Ted, you might recognise the remains of the beached freighter from the show's opening credits. These are truly islands of stories, and we will now hear some of their tales. We will begin our story by hearing about Galway. Galway City Galway is one of Ireland's liveliest cities, with a great music scene and terrific restaurants and nightlife. Galway's unique heritage is still a living feature of the city, and even to this day, the legacy of its medieval past is cherished. Part of the story of medieval Galway is reflected in the nickname, 
the city of the tribes. These so-called tribes were 14 prominent merchant families in the medieval period. For centuries, they controlled Galway City and managed to turn it into a significant European trading port. The tribes were mainly of Anglo-Norman descent and their surnames, Athai, Blake, Bodkin, Brown, Darcy, Dean, Font, French, Joyce, Kerwin, Lynch, Martin, Morris and Skerritt can be found in shops and pubs all over the city today. When you walk around Galway, it is hard to escape the city's medieval past. Many buildings still survive, such as Lynch's Castle or St Nicholas Collegiate Church that was constructed in around 1320. The medieval city walls that once protected the citizens of Galway can still be seen in Air Square Shopping Centre and along the River Corrib in the form of the Spanish Arch, a 16th century bastion in the city walls. Visitors to Galway can avail of the excellent City Museum, which gives a great overview of the story of Galway and is free to enter. Or, if you're around on a Saturday, be sure to check out the market held outside St Nicholas Collegiate Church, where local handcrafted gifts, including the famous Cladder Ring, are for sale. Finally, a trip to Galway City isn't complete without visiting the many pubs and restaurants that serve excellent seafood. And in the evenings, you can hear some of the best live traditional music in Ireland. The stunning region of Connemara, west of Galway City, is like a wilder version of Ireland in miniature, with deep bogs, mountain ranges and a rugged coast. For generations, there has been a strong connection between the people of Connemara and the people of the Aran Islands, and the regions have supported each other through hard times. For example, the people of Connemara often gave their turf to the people of the Aran Islands, who had to rely on burning dried cow dung to heat their homes. In exchange, the people of the islands took the Connemara cows from their boggy, saturated home turf and let them graze on the drier soils of the islands during winter. Aran Island Ferry's co-founder Paddy O'Brien and his father Michael brought turf from Connemara to the Aran Islands on their Galway hooker boat on Tony. When the turf trade started to decline, Paddy and his father started carrying passengers to the islands instead. Natural Heritage as we sail, it is possible to see some of the birds and sea creatures that call these waters and the islands home. Birds such as fulmar, kittiwakes, razorbill, terns, red-throated divers, black guillemot, shag and herringull all use the coast and the Aran Islands as their breeding and wintering grounds. If we are fortunate, between the months of April and August, you may catch a glimpse of basking sharks, Despite being one of the largest sea creatures at lengths of up to 10 metres, they are harmless to humans as they feed on tiny plankton. Fishermen on the Aran Islands used to hunt these creatures for their liver oil, which was used as fuel for lamps in the time before electricity. These waters are also home to deep-swimming blue sharks, poor beagle sharks and bottlenose dolphins. They all hunt the salmon, pollock, tope, ballon and sea bream that frequent these waters. 
Those fish are also the favourite food of the colonies of grey seals who call the islands their home. You will soon start to see the grey outlines of the Aran Islands. They get their colour from the karst limestone, which was formed over 350 million years ago. Hard as it is to imagine today, the Aran Islands began life in a tropical sea. The limestone was formed from sediments that sank to the bottom of that tropical sea, where they were compressed into horizontal bands of stone. The karst limestone is very similar to what you may have seen in the Burren of County Clare, but it is very different to the granite stone of Connemara. This is because the Aran Islands were once physically connected to the Burren. When the last ice age ended over 12,000 years ago, the ice sheets melted and caused the sea levels to rise and separated the islands from the mainland. When you arrive in the islands, you will notice large cracks in the limestone, known as grikes. These grikes are the result of erosion caused by frost and rain. Their long channels form excellent subterranean drainage for the islands. The karst limestone of the Aran Islands are also an important and unique habitat, where you can see Arctic, Mediterranean and Alpine plants growing side by side. The crevices in the limestone provide moist shelter, ideal for dwarf shrubs. The looser gravel allows the growth of hardier Arctic or Alpine plants and the thin layers of soil allow grass and flowers to grow. Depending on the time of year you visit the Arran Islands, you will be able to see orchids, harebell, wild thyme, honeysuckle, sea campion and many other wild flowers. The flowers provide food for the different species of butterflies and moths that call the islands home. The plant life continues under the water with seaweed-like green, brown and red algae. The islands are also home to two edible seaweeds, the traditional carrageen and dillisk, both of which are still enjoyed today. The islands are home to species of animals that you can also find on the mainland, such as the cuckoo, house marten, pheasant, stoat, otter, wild swan, ducks and plenty of rabbits. But other species like hares and foxes never made it out to the islands. An Ancient Place, the story of the first islanders. The earliest known evidence of human activity on the islands dates to what archaeologists call the Chalcolithic, a period around 4,500 years ago, between the Neolithic and Bronze Age, when the age of stone began to give way to an age of metal and the first copper tools began to be used. This era is also known as the Beaker Period, for the small pottery vessels that were left as grave offerings with the dead. These were occasionally placed in large megalithic structures known as wedge tombs, and there are six of these monuments recorded on the Iron Islands, along with other features from this period. We don't know where these first islanders originally came from. Perhaps they sailed from Doolan in County Clare to Inishir, or perhaps they came from further afield. Though the first people would have found the islands very exposed to the weather and the ocean, the islands also offered safe haven from predators, both animal and human alike. During the later part of the Bronze Age and the early Iron Age, 
Large stone forts began to be constructed on the islands, giving us the iconic sites such as Dun Angusa and Dun Duhahar. These stone forts were so successful at protecting the people who lived within them that they continued to be adapted and used well into the medieval era, nearly 2,000 years later. However, the traditional legends of the island state that it was the Fir Bullog who came to the islands first. According to legend, the Fir Bullog originally came from Greece and it is from them that the people of Ireland are descended. The Fir Bullog's leader, Angus, was responsible for the construction of Dún Angusa on Inish Moor and his brother Concrege settled on the nearby island of Inish Man and built the fort of Dún Chonchur. The Firbolog were later overthrown by another legendary race of people named the Tuatha Dé Danann. Sanctuaries of Stone The Stone Forts of the Aran Islands There are seven key stone forts on the Aran Islands. They include Dún Engelsa, Dún Onachta, Dún Ochla, Dún Duchahar on Inish Moor, Dún Chonchur, and Dún Farvi on Inish Man, and Dún Formna on Inish Ear. Their names all begin with the Irish word Dún, which means fort. These iconic forts are truly monumental in size, with diameters ranging from 27 metres to 90 metres. They are built using the island's abundant stone, and all are dry stone constructions with no mortar used. That they still survive today is testament to the skill of the ancient architects and masons. Although the forts are similar in appearance, they were not constructed at the same time. Instead, they date from as far back as 1100 BC to as recent as 800 AD, a range of around 2,000 years in difference. Dún Engesa and Dún Duhahar are the oldest of the forts and both share the striking defensive feature of a chevaux de frise. The chevaux de frise were made of large, sharp, upright stones used to discourage attacks from mounted warriors. The location of some of the forts were highly strategic. They were often built in areas that gave clear views of the seaways and landing places of the islands. Dún Engelse, standing on a cliff edge on Inish Moor, is the oldest and perhaps most famous of all the stone forts in the Aran Islands. The earliest activity here dates back to the Middle Bronze Age, around 1500 BC. However, the majority of the visible remains had their origin in the later Bronze Age, 1100 BC. The fort, which encompasses almost 5.8 hectares, is made up of three curving walls forming an outer, middle and inner enclosure that terminate at the edge of the dramatic 90-metre high cliff. The outer enclosure wall was only 1.5 metres in height, but it was cleverly built along the edge of a terrace drop, making it look far more formidable to anyone approaching from the outside. A further layer of defence, in the form of a chevaux de frise, was added to the fort. The middle enclosure provided shelter from the southwesterly winds, but also got the best of the available sunshine. In the Bronze Age, the middle and inner enclosure walls were about two metres high and two metres thick, 
In the early medieval period, builders increased the original walls so that they now stood at six metres high and five metres wide in places. The inner enclosure may only have been accessible to people of higher status, which could be based on a person's age, ancestry, family, gender or rank. It might have been used as an important place in society where communal activities could take place, such as inaugurations or religious ceremonies, and a place where agreements could be made or disputes ruled upon and justice dispensed. During the excavations of Dunengese, archaeologists found evidence of early medieval houses within the inner enclosure, along with a brooch pin, a comb and burials, including the remains of two young men, which were dated to between AD 680 to AD 950. Excavations also found the remains of three prehistoric Bronze Age houses, along with evidence of metalworking. Large hearths were found, which suggests communal feasting and the casting of bronze weapons. A hoard of four bronze rings were also deliberately buried here, perhaps as an offering to the gods or ancestors. Dun Engese has a visitor centre on Inishmoor run by the Office of Public Works. The visitor centre provides information on the forts, how they were built and what was found during the excavations. Most of the island's other impressive stone forts are located on private land. The landowners are happy for visitors to explore so long as they respect the land and the monuments. Islands of Saints and Scholars As we move forward in time to the early medieval period, we enter a new golden age for the Aran Islands, when the islands became famous as a centre for learning and devotion. One of the most famous saints associated with the Aran Islands is Saint Enda, who was born in County Meath in the 5th century. Enda was of noble lineage and succeeded his father to become the ruler of Oriel, around the region of South and Mid-Ulster. His pious sister, Saint Francia, convinced Enda to give up his unchristian ways with the promise of a beautiful bride. But before Enda could marry the young woman, she died. Enda took this as a sign and decided to embrace the monastic life. He left his kingdom and went to study at St Alba's Monastery in Emily, before travelling to Scotland, where he was ordained a priest. On his return to Ireland, St. Enda was advised by his brother-in-law, the King of Munster, to settle in the Golden Vale in Southern Ireland. However, Enda wanted to continue his monastic life on the Aran Islands. He miraculously sailed to Inish Moor on a stone and founded one of the earliest monasteries in Ireland at Kilene. This monastery became so renowned as a centre of education that St. Enda became known as the Patriarch of Irish Monasticism and to this day he is still celebrated as the patron saint of the Aran Islands. Today, the islands are popularly referred to as Aran the Nave, which translates to Aran of the Saints. This name is due mainly to St. Enda's monastic school at Kilene on Inishmore, which attracted many young pilgrims to the islands. St. Enda's strict sense of embracing vows, seclusion from the world and stern discipline was renowned and many prolific saints such as Cullum Kill, Ciaran, Jarlath, 
Carthage, Finian and Brendan studied here. These saints went on to spread Irish monasticism throughout Ireland, Britain and many parts of Europe. One of St Enda's most famous students was St Columkill, also known as Columba. Like Enda, Columkill was also of noble descent. He fell out with St Enda after the older saint refused to give him land on Inish Moor. Columkill grew angry and said he only wanted a small piece of land that was as big as his cloak. As St Enda considered this uncharacteristically modest request, he noticed Columkill's cloak start to grow. Furious that his disciple would use one of God's miracles for his own gain, he grabbed Columkill, threw him against the rocks and banished him from the Aran Islands. The imprint of St Columkill's ribs can still be seen on the island's rocks. Columkill punished St Enda by cursing the Aran Islands. Strangers and foreigners would overrun the islands. The land would not yield a harvest without great labour. Cows would not produce milk in great quantity. And turf would never be found here. The final part of the curse caused the islanders to be stuck burning cow dung for warmth for centuries of winters. Some aspects of this once great monastic centre of learning still stand. Chailach Enya, near the village of Kil Enya on Inish Moor, means the household of Enda. It is a small church built in the 9th century with later architectural additions. It is said that Saint Enda himself was buried in the graveyard along with 120 other saints. Around the church are the remains of several high crosses cemented into one, a beautifully decorated altar and bullion stones. Close to Chailach Enya, you can see Champel Venain, a beautiful stone church that is believed to be one of the smallest in Europe. This stands on a prominent ridgetop just above the remains of a 10th century round tower and a holy well. Situated to the north of the island, on Inish Moor, off the main road near Onocht, are Nashacht Djampel, the seven churches. For centuries, this was one of the biggest monastic foundations and centres of pilgrimage along the west coast of Ireland. Nowadays, despite its name, there are only two surviving churches, Temple Brecon and Champel on Fuil, show examples of a number of architectural styles from the 12th to the 15th centuries. When exploring the area, you will see a number of cross slabs along with fragments of three high crosses. Though these small islands appear isolated, their legacy has had a tangible influence on the wider European Christian faith that we know today. Castles and Conquests, Life on the Medieval Iron Islands The islands also have a big story to tell from the medieval period. The two most prominent families in the Iron Islands were the O'Briens and the O'Flaherty's. In 1190, the O'Briens took possession of the Iron Islands and added them to their collection of land holdings that included parts of County Clare. The island O'Briens had mixed fortunes over the years. They were wealthy and powerful enough to build Cashlon Ivreen that was constructed inside the ancient stone fort of Dunformna on Inish Ear in the 14th century, and Arkan Castle. Their castle's strategic location allowed them to control the shipping routes into Galway Bay, making them wealthy, but this attracted jealousy from rivals. 
1565, their leader Mahan O'Brien was murdered by his own kinsmen. Soon afterwards, the O'Briens had to mortgage the islands to a Galway merchant. Around the same time, the O'Flaherty's were living in Connemara. In 1569, the English crown appointed Morcha O'Flaherty as head of the clan, an act that was in contravention with Gaelic law. This started infighting amongst the O'Flaherty family. Morcha was rewarded for his loyalty to the English crown when he was granted lands on the Arran Islands in 1585. This saw the beginning of the end of the O'Brien power in the Arran Islands, and in 1582, Cashlan Ivreen was taken over by the O'Flaherty's. But just 70 years later, the castle was captured and largely destroyed by Cromwell's army in 1652. The Later History of the Iron Islands The people of the Iron Islands used to rely on two main professions, farming and fishing. Both were hard work and sometimes dangerous, but kept food on the tables of the island's families. Sometimes the professions were interchangeable according to the season. Men who spent most of their time working as farmers would then go fishing to supplement their income. The journey from Rosseville Harbour in Connemara, a port 23 miles west of Galway City, allows today's visitors to imagine the experience of the Aran Islands fishermen, though the experience of crossing in a traditional boat known as the Curragh is very different to crossing in a modern, comfortable ferry. Curraghs are made from a wooden frame and covered with a stretched animal skin and tar. Curraghs were popular because of their versatility and buoyancy. Traditionally, Curraghs were manned by a crew of three. In the evenings, they would carry the boat up the shore and store it upside down to protect it. Nowadays, some of the Curraghs that are still used are fitted with motors, but the basic design hasn't changed for generations. Due to the stony thin soils, the islanders would often try to replenish the soil by using dried seaweed and sand. The usable farming land was distributed fairly among the villagers who lived in small villages. Unfenced pasture was left for all farmers as commonage to let their animals graze. The most popular animal on the islands were sheep, as they were easier to transport to and from the mainland and useful for their milk, meat and wool. They could also stand the harsh weather and sparse grasslands of the Aran Islands. The islands are now famous for their sweaters, which were introduced to the islands over a century ago in 1901. The more traditional clothing worn by men on the islands included a tweed waistcoat, homespun trousers and a belt known as a kris that was tied around the waist. They wore knitted socks, cowhide slippers known as pamputis and a traditional knitted cap that was only ever removed when in church. Women wore calf-length woven skirts, knitted jumpers, pamputis and a headscarf or shawl when in public. Life on the Islands Today In Ishmoor, the largest of the three islands has the largest population. According to the 2016 census, there were 762 people living on the island, mainly in the small towns and villages of Kilroanoin, Sandytown, Ogil and Manister. 
The current population of Inishmore is quite low compared to the census of 1841, when 2,592 people lived on the island. The drop in population has been relatively steady from 1841 to 2016, but the steepest drop occurred between 1911 and 1926, when Inishmore lost just under 23% of its population due to people seeking work on the mainland, or further still, for those who sought a new life in America. Inishman, the Middle Island, has the smallest population of the Aran Islands. In the 2011 census, only 157 people were living on the island. Despite being the smallest island, Inishir has a larger population, almost double that of Inishman. In 2018, there were 281 people recorded as living on the island. In the 19th and 20th centuries, the agriculture and fishery sectors were the two main sources of income for the islanders. Nowadays, farming and fishing are still common professions, but they are supplemented by the economic benefit of tourism. Between the months of June and September, nearly 2,000 visitors a day come to visit the Iron Islands from all over the world. To welcome these guests, the islanders run B&Bs, a hostel, glamping pods, hotels, bike car companies, pony and trap tours, shops, pubs, cafes, craft shops, visitor centres and more. Some of the islanders also work on the planes and boats that bring people to the islands. It's not just tourists who bring income to the islands, but also the vast number of young students from the mainland who live on the Arne Islands during the summer months and stay with the locals to improve their Irish in the Gwaeltacht. After the summer months, things begin to quieten down and the islanders focus on farming and fishing again. Recently, organic beef farming, goat cheese production and harvesting seaweed have provided opportunities for the islanders. Many islanders work on the mainland in cities like Galway. Some island natives relocate with their families to the mainland where others commute either daily or weekly. With the introduction of faster broadband, the islanders may have more opportunities to permanently live and work on the Aran Islands. The people of the Aran Islands have a great social scene with excellent seafood restaurants and pubs that host traditional music and storytelling nights. The younger population play traditional Irish sports such as Gaelic football, hurling and handball for the local club Ilan Oran. The islanders have their own unique sporting traditions and events. The Inishmore Patroon Festival, which celebrates St Enda's Day, is held annually. The festival includes Curragh and Hooker boat racing, tug-of-war, sandcastle competitions and a road race on the island. There is also the annual inter-island Curragh races, which are always a popular and keenly contested event. The spectacular Paul Nabeisht, or Serpent's Lair, is located on the Atlantic side of the island near Gortnagapal. Although it looks like a man-made swimming pool, it is in fact a rectangular rock pool connected to the sea by underground caverns. It has been used twice as the location for the Red Bull cliff diving competitions. The story of how it became known as the Serpent's Lair has been lost in the mists of time. Islands of Inspiration
The beautiful and remote Aran Islands have long been an area of inspiration for artists of all types, some of whom are inspired by the hauntingly beautiful landscapes, while others get inspiration from the local people, their use of traditional crafts, music and the Irish language. One such artist inspired by the islands was the celebrated playwright John Millington Singh. He spent six summers on the Iron Islands, improving his Irish and collecting folklore. After his time in Inishman, he wrote Riders to the Sea and The Playboy of the Western World, some of his most renowned works. He also went on to help found the Abbey Theatre in Dublin, and thanks to his improved Irish, Singh became a key figure in the Irish literary revival. Another famous artist who was inspired by his time on the Iron Islands was the influential writer and cartographer Tim Robinson. He originally moved west to spend time in Connemara and the Iron Islands recording Irish place names, but fell in love with the islands. While living here, he wrote detailed books on the islands, including Stones of Iron, Pilgrimage and Labyrinth. The Aran Islands have also inspired films such as The Man of Aran, a blend of documentary and fictional narrative written and directed by Robert Flaherty. The movie showed the everyday trials of the people of Aran, as well as the unforgiving beauty of its nature. When the film was released, it was hailed as one of the greatest films ever made and marked the beginning of tourism on the Aran Islands. Many musicians travel to the islands to experience traditional music played on fiddle, violin, accordion and flute. The music is often played in the islands bars at night and is usually accompanied by traditional Shanno singing as well as folk dancing. To this day the islands still attract and inspire many artists and craftspeople. The islanders appreciate talent and run a number of workshops for photography, creative writing, basket making and knitting. In 2000, Oris Eine, the arts centre on Inish Ear, was founded, which runs an artists-in-residence programme that allows artists and poets to live on the island to continue to produce work about the islands and their people. Conclusion We hope you've enjoyed hearing about the rich heritage of the Aran Islands and that you have a wonderful time on Inish Moor. We sail year-round to all islands from Rosseville Harbour in Connemara, a port 23 miles west of Galway City. There are so many more island stories to discover, so we hope you'll join us again soon for another voyage with Aran Island Ferries. Follow us on social media using the hashtag Aran Island Ferries and save when you book your next return journey online at aranislandferries.com. Slán go